my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth-building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. Season two of the Black Tech Green Money podcast is brought to you by Lexus, who's been celebrating driveway moments for over 30 years with the Lexus December to Remember sales event, where you can find exclusive offers on the most popular Lexus models. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Afrotech World 2020. Charles Hudson, managing partner at Precursor Ventures, is being interviewed by Isa Watson, founder and CEO at Squad, a VC-backed software company that helps people build their real-life friendships and communities. On the virtual stage, Charles sheds some light on how he picks the founders, not the companies he invests in. If I think about most of the people we back, though, it really is some combination of the clarity of purpose around what they're building. You know, most of the companies we invest in, they don't have a ton of data or traction. There's no product to touch or feel. In most cases, it's I'm trying to assess is the person sitting across from me, have they really thought deeply about the problem they're trying to solve? Do they have a thesis on how to solve it that I think is going to play out well over the next five to seven years? That's a big part of it. The second piece, though, that's related is do I think that the founder has capacity for tremendous personal growth as a leader? And it's super subjective. And like part of what I'm looking for is people that I think the process of running and building a company is going to bring the best out of them. They have the work ethic, they have the drive, they have the focus, but they also have areas um, where they can grow and develop as a leader and where a startup is going to really put them in a position to, to do that. And generally speaking, when I see that, that's what we're looking for. It's less about, you know, the market or the space and the traction. It's really more about how, how much the founders thought about the problem and the clarity they have around the solution. I'm Will Lucas, and this is Black Tech Green Money. 
I'm going to introduce you to some of the biggest names, some of the brightest minds, and brilliant ideas. If you're black in building or simply using tech to secure your bag, this podcast is for you. Candace Matthews Burkin is the founder and CEO of Lightship Capital, the Cincinnati-based portfolio service firm including Accelerators Hillman and New Me, and a venture capital fund Lightship, where she serves as managing partner. Lightship companies work together in support of underrepresented, early-stage, transformational businesses. Candace has a huge focus on investing in the Midwest. Her own statements, where other investors see flyover country, she sees a gold mine. I ask her why then other VCs aren't paying attention to the Midwest opportunity. I'm quite certain why we are overlooked. I think it's really, um, a bit of it is just not doing the work, right? So, um, you know, there was kind of an uproar on the internet about the CEO of Wells Fargo um, saying that um, they've had a very limited pool of um, black talent um, to kind of draw from, that's just lazy, right? So the Midwest is considered a flyover country. So folks are flying from San Francisco to New York or San Francisco to Boston to look for deals. Now, of course, are there a lot of great deals in those areas? Sure, because um, exits bring more activity. Right. You get more mentors, you have more dollars. So all of those things spin up. Um, but there are also great corporations that have been built in the Midwest. You've got Eli Lilly in Indiana. You've got Procter & Gamble in Ohio. You've got in Michigan, Quicken and Rocket. Like you've got some amazing organizations throughout the Midwest where there's incredible, you know, kind of like mindshare and talent. Um, so, so why fly over here when we have um, incredible talent here? And so we're just... Um, we're fishing from a pond that no one's interested in, in fishing in. <laughs> yeah. and, and we're taking advantage of incredible deals. Yeah. And part of going back to you know, your, your bio, which I read, and you've impacted state and local policy. A part of the issues that happen in these communities is the ecosystems are broken. The things around the spirit of entrepreneurship that go to support it. Local, again, local government, university, um, again, those big organizations, they're not... Um, working together for that entrepreneurial community. You didn't have that feeling of powerlessness to not being able to change it, but many people do. What is it um, that you did as those initial steps to be able to impact that ecosystem so that these people can come to the table and work for the betterment of entrepreneurs? You know, I, I think I just didn't know any better. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I've always been taught from a young age, like stick up for yourself, um, you know, let people hear your voice. Don't take no for an answer. Um, you know, I think we all walked uphill in both directions with, uh, you know, poor, bad shoes in the snow. Like, you know, it was just kind of raised from a humble upbringing. And so like, I've always gotten what I've, what I've needed and wanted because I asked for it and I worked for it. So as I've been building an ecosystem here and continue to kind of attempt to build additional ecosystems elsewhere, it's just a matter of having hard conversations with lots of different people. Um, it's just, it's not been easy work, but it's been consistent. So I'm consistently going and knocking on doors and then 
if they're not open, like I open it a little bit and then we have a conversation. So it's just been a continuous process. process. And, and part of that kind of affecting, um, you know, kind of legislation and law, it's, it's really just starting with a conversation with someone in an office that hmm. then introduces you to someone else and you tell them that story. So it's just been consistent storytelling of these, um, it's been consistent storytelling and, and sharing the data around the issues. And, um, you know, it got us to this point and now the entire world is looking at these issues with a, with a greater lens. We were all though doing this work previously. When you talked about, um, you know, sharing data around the issues in so many of these communities, that data is not available. So it may be anecdotal early. Mm -hmm. um, how, do, how do you make that case when it is anecdotal? You just search for either you, you create your own research. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. And, and that's where that's where a lot of our work, as you know, will happened in Ohio. Right. Like it was anecdotal. Um, it was qualitative. And so we felt the problems, but we did we didn't necessarily and we knew how to verbalize it. Yeah. Um, but folks just don't listen to anything other than data. Right. So. Um, you know, part of the work that we did here in Cincy and throughout the state of Ohio was that minority entrepreneurship connectivity assessment, which was really like taking a deep dive into our tech ecosystems throughout the state and figuring out, um, you know, while we are a super diverse state, we are not all that inclusive or equitable with our dollars. Mm -hmm. And so once you bring that to life for people, they really get it, right? Um, at least they get it a little bit. Now, do we still have issues in society? Absolutely. Um, but we are tackling this one particular area. So I, I just really believe that it's consistency. It's also just creating things that don't exist um, and spending the time to do it. There's nothing like a survey, right? You mm -hmm. can Google form yourself into anything um, and send it to a whole bunch of friends. You can get a ton of information. We could do a survey for the entire Midwest based on our, our inboxes and using the context that we have and really, you know, really form something big. That's how Project Diane got started. That's like how lots of other things got started. I love that. Um, I, I'd written this blog post that I published to LinkedIn several years back and it kind of caught fire, put me on the radar of a lot of people. And it was titled, Hey Startups, You Don't Live in Silicon Valley. And part of the issue was a lot of, at least at that time, a lot of the insight and education on how to build a startup and how to get funded was coming out of Silicon Valley. It wasn't coming from other places. Right. And what I learned was a lot of that stuff doesn't work outside of Silicon Valley. Right. And so what is the difference in your mind from a couple of different angles from, you know, being an entrepreneur, which you are an entrepreneur from being an investor today to somebody who's just worked in, in the machine to make things happen. What's the difference that people probably too often overlook about um, the insights they get from the Silicon Valley or traditional known notable tech hubs, tech ecosystems versus nascent ones, ones that are growing. You know, so be, having a fund, I'm finding other investors to invest in me. And it's a, it's a huge um, interview process. So um, if somebody's giving you a million dollars, let me tell you, the interview process is like, rough um, <laughs> there's a background check criminal and and personal and they're, they're checking every single thing but through these conversations 
many of our, our LPs, our limited partners in the fund are investors from the coast. And they ask us lots of questions about like, so how much money are you gonna put in this company and what percentage of ownership are you going to get? And, and we're, we're explaining to them Midwest valuations. Mm -hmm. And we're explaining to them how much money I have to put in to get a meaningful amount of ownership percentage. And, you know, at first we were letting them know, okay, we're putting in this much. And they're like, there's no way you can get ownership percentage with that <laughs> amount of money. And I'm like, folks, Midwest valuations. Like, I don't know what you guys are out there doing, but like, we don't start at 15, $20 million. We started like five to eight. So like, I'm right there doing something way different. So they, they can't even wrap their minds around the fact that like a company that's generating revenue, right, in market and has been in the market for a few years is making a few million dollars a year, like still has like an $8 million valuation. They yeah. just can't, they just don't get it. So they struggle in that aspect. They struggle with the fact that like Midwesterners love to help each other. Like I could text some people pretty high up at lots of corporations that are like fortune 100s. Yeah. And that's just because all of those people are like just really down to like get it moving for their city or their state. And so I think that that's what they overlook. They overlook the fact that we're all connected and that we genuinely have care for what we do. Um, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of differences between, but like, and they also fight for deals. Mm -hmm. Do we fight for deals in the Midwest? <laughs> there just aren't enough funds, right. right? For us to fight against each other. So there's just, there's just a difference in the way they do things out there. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard. 
I'm, I'm glad you, you talked about the um, stage at which you come in because I, I get interested in, I remember listening to you do an interview where you talked about, you know, you've had, you have very little room for error and that's why you don't invest super early on. Um, talked about that here. Like why can't a fund by a black woman, the biggest one in the mid, you know, period first fund, why can't you write checks super early in the company be just because you believe? Yeah. I have to show my investors the path to exit. So if, it's hard to show the path to exit on a dream, right? Um, do I have talked to some amazing founders. Um, and before Delane Parnell, like, Play VS, became Play what yeah. he is now with Play Versus, like, I saw that at the dream stage, yeah. right? And, you know, as an investment committee, now I wanted to invest, right? Don't, do not get me wrong. But like the entire committee was not interested, right? Because it was just too early. Unfortunately, I have to return at least half of the fund on every single investment. So let me break this down for you. So it's a $50 million fund. Half the fund is $25 million. If I own 10% of a company, this is just like rough math. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If I own 10% of the company and it exits for $250 million, I've returned half of the fund. Yeah. It's really difficult to do that on an idea. How do I quantify that on this paperwork that's going to go to LPs that have put in a million dollars or more? So that's why. Also, I like you, like we've talked, like I have the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I feel that it is my responsibility to deliver a win. I really do feel that way. So um, we are trying to get the best mix of black and brown founders and maybe fun too, we can invest earlier. Maybe the folks that come to our pipeline are getting investments from angel investors in our network and we will work really hard for that. Um, but just in this fun one, I could not. And I hate that sometimes. What, what has to happen so that or perhaps there's got to be more Candace's, but what has to happen so that Candace's can make early or bets? We just, we need, um, we, we need more fund managers, no matter what. There are folks making earlier bets. Um, so precursor ventures, they make earlier bets, right? Now they invest in all founders. It's not just um, women and people of color, um, but they make earlier bets. Um I believe Richard Kirby over at Equal makes earlier bets. Um, and so I know for sure Monique Woodard makes some earlier bets. Um, but again, um, there, I think there just has to be more of us. I think for many years, the angel community, angel investment community got burned, right? Mm -hmm. Not by Black founders in particular, but kind of like all founders. Um, and, and I think we just have to get a resurgence of new people, angel investing and being educated um, for earlier bets to take place. But it's, it's been difficult to do kind of pre-seed pre venture funding. Um, it's a difficult space to fund uh, kind of no matter what.
Season 2 of the Black Tech Green Money Podcast is brought to you by Lexus. Known for celebrating driveway moments for over 30 years, Lexus invites you to create more with exclusive offers on the most popular Lexus models at the December to Remember sales event. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Candace set out to raise $20 million for her first fund at Lightship. In the end, she became the first black woman to raise as much as she did at her first go, clearing $50 million during a global pandemic. So how does that kind of overshot happen? Candace speaks on it. Okay, so like, I'll take it way, way back. So um, my co-founders of Hillman, we originally were like, we're gonna raise just like a million dollar micro fund. It's gonna invest in these Hillman companies, cool bet. We, we raised it, great. And so then when Brian and I decided to raise this fund, you know, originally we were sitting down with our mentors and we we're like, okay, $10 million fund. Our mentors were like, $10 million fund. Do you know how like that works? Let's talk about the logistics and like management fee on $10 million and how you're, that's just not going to work. They're like mm-hmm. $20 million. I look at Brian and I'm like $20 million. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Right. Like, and then we started socializing the idea and in February we got our first investment. And so I'm like, oh, this is going to go down. And then by March, we had raised 15 of the $20 million. And so I'm like, okay, this is good. And then COVID hit. Yeah. Um, and I thought, of course, this thing is going to, this is going to shut all the way down. We won't raise it all. 15 is good. Pat on the back. Fantastic. And then um, a gentleman from Cincinnati who was working for a group called Second News or 2M Capital reached out to us and said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing X, Y, Z. Do you have time to talk? And we're like, sure. And we talked to him. He's like, hey, I think my boss would really like what you guys are up to. Would you like to talk to him? So we talked to this guy named Todd from 2M Capital. And over like three meetings, they decided to invest $20 million. And we were like, we're at 35. (laughs) (laughs) What just happened here? Um, and so we could see that path to 50 million was our hard cap for the fund. And so we saw a path. We're like, maybe we can raise 15 more, but man, it's COVID. And then George Floyd was murdered. And, um, suddenly some foundations, some other corporations like started doing some soul searching and realized that what they had been doing to date just wasn't enough. And they should have done it a long time ago, right? Those are the conversations we've been having. And, uh, you know, we're at about, I mean, our cap is $50 million, but we have a lot lot of interest. We have more than double that in interest. So um, it's uh, now it's just going through and figuring out what's the right blend of people. It's a very interesting place to be. First time fund managers don't get this opportunity. Black fund managers don't get this opportunity. And so for us, we're trying to find the right blend of investors that are here for the right reasons and that will stick with us through fund two, fund three and beyond. Um, We are, it wasn't all luck, but man, the timing of this has just been incredible. Yeah, it's, I'm glad you said that because I've had this conversation with a couple of folks and people who are working on, 
recognizing the moment that we're in, that we're still in with COVID and George Floyd and the social uprisings and people starting to wake up to your point of like, we haven't done enough. And I always think about this Rahm Emanuel quote from back from 2008. I don't even know if he's the first person to say it, but he said, never let a great crisis go to waste. It's an opportunity to do things you otherwise couldn't have done. Right. And you just talked about in this moment when COVID hit, or I'm sorry, when George Floyd hit specifically, people woke up and said, hey, we need to do more. And that obviously lended itself to getting you guys some checks. Um, what do you say to entrepreneurs, would-be investors about this moment um, and, and how to take advantage of this moment when people are saying, hey, you know, maybe we should be doing more. How do you take advantage of right now? Well, you still have to recognize that all money is not good money, right? Um, and there are folks that are being predatory in this moment. Mm. Um, so make sure that you still are looking at your deal and making sure it's a good deal, right? I've seen people try to put a $100,000 check into a company that's doing really well for 7% equity. Well, I don't know what that's about. <laughs> like, I, I just don't understand what that's about. Yeah. So we're, we are still seeing that. Um, but, but use the moment to get ahead um, because it's going to end. This window will close. They've forgotten about us before. They will forget about us again. So now's the time to structure everything that you need to, to get it done. Um, I mean, I don't know if I have much more to say about that than that. It's, it's, um, it's a unique moment. It's a very it, unique it is moment. A, it is an incredibly unique moment. And, but it's a moment that's deserved, mm -hmm. right? We deserved this stuff a long time ago. This isn't charity, right? When people are investing, I think it's our responsibility though to remind people that investment in this is not charity. This isn't philanthropic. We are at our fund looking for market rate returns. All of the founders that surround us, they aren't, they aren't doing it for social impact. I'm not a social impact investor. Um, there are people making an impact on, on the world, but we're also like generating revenue and we're looking to build generational wealth. So now's the time to do it. And I think it's everyone's responsibility to make sure that these good stories are being told um, and that we're highlighting great founders doing great things, not necessarily just the, I raised around, right? Because raising rounds aren't milestones, generating revenue is, right? So how do we highlight the people do it, actually doing the work? How are we putting up those people who really need an investment? Um, that's that's how we have to capitalize on this moment. Season two of the Black Tech Green Money podcast is brought to you by Lexus. For over 30 years, Lexus made driveways the place to celebrate with the December to Remember sales event. Find exclusive offers on popular Lexus models now through January 4th. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth 
which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. I want to talk about the education you guys do um, in a couple different ways. So how consequential first was the NUMI acquisition? Ryan and I were just talking about this this, this morning. Um, to be completely candid, and I, I'm fine with this, like, it's not easy, right, like, running a nonprofit. And um, grants come and grants go, and they are not always smooth. And for us, there were two reasons for doing the NUMI acquisition. One, it generated revenue to smooth out those bumps because there were times when I couldn't make payroll, right? Because we're a nonprofit, right? And sometimes people, people say they're going to give you a $100,000 grant and suddenly it's a $50,000 grant. And like, where am I supposed to come up with that money, folks? Like, and so there were plenty of times where like, I deferred my salary for my employees. So one, it was a revenue generator. So that we would not still be, we would have had a very difficult time being around without a, a way to make revenue. That's number one. But two, it gave us access to a fantastic brand. And people love, 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 still love Angela Benton, right? And the program that she created back in 2012. Knew me class two, Brian Brackeen went through that class, right? Freddie from Pigeonly went through it too. Marlon Avery, our director of technology, went through Numi. Like Numi made a huge difference for black tech mm -hmm. um, and continues to. And three of our first seven investments were Numi companies. That time that we get to spend with companies physically together, working through their business issues, like it's really helped us to change our model on the accelerator side, um, but it's definitely a way to find great companies um, to invest in as well. So I don't know, Numi was a really like big turning point for us. So talk about what, what the program looks like now for entrepreneurs. 
So yeah, it's a one week boot camp. Um, while it used to all be in a house, now we'll be in um, nice, safe, clean hotel space and in conference rooms. So founders at the end of the night can still go back to their spaces. I used to cook breakfast, lunch, and dinner with a team of people. So now it's a uh, catering, <laughs> yeah, yeah. using yeah. the in best the practices for sanitizing. Yeah. And of course, you know, I, I clean the kitchen like a black auntie. So, um, you know, no worries there, but catering does help. And so that's how we'll run it. Um, and we'll have um, newbie programs in 2021 in Cincinnati, Detroit, Toledo, Cleveland, and Tulsa, Oklahoma. Why those, why those communities? Um, what's what's happening asked, in those communities? That's Well, um, there's a kind of a key inflection point in Tulsa um, with the um, Tulsa Race Massacre anniversary comes up um, in June of 2021. Um, and so that community has asked us to come in and figure out our little corner of helping to rebuild a portion of Black Wall Street, right? There's a lot of work that needs to be done um, in meaningful ways. So um, a group there called the George Kaiser Family Foundation um, gave us a pretty significant grant um, to do work in Tulsa. And um, that same organization actually made a sizable investment into the fund. Um, so they've, they've invited us there in Detroit um, and actually in Michigan. So Delta Dental of Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana um, and actually this press release came out uh, today, um, made a $1.8 million investment um, in Lightship and in Hillman uh, and Numi for us to offer programming in Detroit, Cleveland, and Toledo. So um, we'll also do some work in the Indiana area, but those dates haven't been secured yet. Uh, so as we kind of go into communities, we do say, yes, it is important to provide programming, but we as a people, as we say over and over, are over-mentored and undercapitalized. So you have to invest in both. Um, you have to train people, but you also need to invest in their companies so they can grow it in your community. Um, so we, we look at it from two lenses. As a fund, um, you know, it's, it's building great companies, adding to the tax base, um, but from a, a nonprofit side, we are an economic development engine. Mm -hmm. You mentioned this uh, when I asked you about, you know, making impact at the state local levels um, that you kind of, you know, you didn't know. So you just started doing stuff and it just mm -hmm. it kind of worked. You taught you taught yourself on the fly. Um, investing. How do how do you learn to invest? So what happens in communities like where we come from? You know, you get people who write a twenty five thousand dollar check because they got money, you know, into a startup and that startup goes nowhere. Then they stop investing. Right. Because, you know, OK, this is not what I thought. This is not the next Google. I thought it was going to be the next Google. Right. And so how do you get educated to do this so that you don't fall into that trap of, hey, one didn't work and I'm tapped out? Yeah. So um, really, it's been a long game. Um, so. This is not my background. I have a degree in economics and statistics from the University of Cincinnati. Um, I was incredibly lucky that two families took me under their wing and provided a scholarship for me. And um, you know that was the base of my knowledge for many, many years. Six years ago, I got into tech, had a very small tech company here in Cincy. We raised a few hundred thousand dollars, ran out of a few hundred thousand dollars. And I think it was in while I was running that company that I built some of the strongest relationships that I have today. So I'll mention two people, and these are both white males. Um, Mike Venerable, uh, the CEO of Cincy Tech, 
um, which is a venture capital firm that is supported by the state of Ohio. Um, I pitched him my company, Hello Parent, years ago. And he was like, kid, come back to me when you've got something better. (laughs) 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 And um, I did. At some point, I went back to him and said, hey, I got this thing called an accelerator. He was like, okay, I can get after this. And then when I said I wanted to do a fund, he was the person who was like, $10 million fund? Oh, no, 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 $20 million fund. He really helped me structure my thesis. So had I taken his no at no, I don't like you, or no, you're not good enough, um, and taken that in um, as a negative, I wouldn't be where I am today. So, you know, he really, that relationship, he taught me a lot about venture. Um, and, and as I was building Hello Parent, which was the little tiny company, um, David Wilbrand from a, a law firm called Thompson Hine really walked me through really understanding my term sheet, mm-hmm. convertible notes, safes, waterfalls, like really understanding the terms. Like it, Matt, it's, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of like repetition, looking at deals, like the nice thing about um, having a seller in the last few years is we see 2000 companies a year. Now, do they fit? Are they all great? Absolutely not. But there is a, there's a grouping that are incredible. So I've gotten a lot of reps and we ask a lot of questions. So just, I've been curious. My business partner, Brian's been curious. Um, and then we've surrounded ourselves with other great people. So our senior associate, Alexis Alston came to us from a, two, maybe $3 billion fund, mm-hmm. right? So she was well-trained. Um, she went to Brown. She's been, she's been investing for the last like five years. And it's some days I look at her, I'm like, are you old enough to have been investing for five years? Like, <laughs> right. But she's got it. Um, we have a venture partner out in Tulsa, Joey Wignaraja, like who helps us, right? Cause we don't know what we don't know. And our LPs are constantly helping and but we know we're emerging fund managers we know we're going to make mistakes and we just ask a lot of questions and i just i'm just i am i'm still learning on the fly but um you know one of our lps like reached out last week and they're like man these first five investments are really good we're really proud of you and um you know you're tracking better than some of your majority peers and that actually feels pretty cool so what do you say to those well-heeled people who just, you know, got great retirements and um, have some money to play with and want to get into startup investing? But like, where do they go to get that education? Or what, uh, what should they do? What should they do? I, I, I'm a huge advocate of the Angel Capital Association. Um, so ACA, and I'm not certain when they were founded, um, provides fantastic education for angels. Every year they do a summit. I'm certain that this year they'll do it online. Um, but I've taken people to the ACA um, Angel 101 Bootcamp. Um, and it's a great way to learn from other people of how to formulate a portfolio and how to read the terms and when to invest, how to carve out a certain amount of money. Um, and so as a group, they have chapters all over the country. now. They will be the first to admit that diversity has been an issue um, within ACA. So there aren't very many people that look like us in chapters, Um, but it is a great way to get in there and learn. 
Um, and I know that this year they're just like they do at every summit. Um, they bring in entrepreneurs from all over the country and they're always looking for great black founders, but at the same time, they're looking for other black angel investors. So I believe that education first before you write a check. Okay. Um, I kind of want to end here on you. There's a quote I found from you um, and you talked about your startup journey. Hello, parent. And um, there's a quote that says, I started a lot of businesses and I enjoy the process of business creation. I've started lots of things. Some were horrible failures and some were great. This one is actually probably my best one yet. How then how do you encourage because I'm talking, my question is pointed towards the spirit of entrepreneurship and ultimately finding the thing that works. How do you encourage people to go after just the ideas? Even if you hit a bunch of 10 dead ends, you just keep trying things. How do you just based on your trajectory and your journey, encourage people to just keep, you know, nipping at that thing until you find your success? Well, you have to surround yourself with like really great people, you know, Family members aren't always going to support you in this crazy thing. So surround yourself with a good group of people who are going to encourage you. Um, and also going to let you know, like when you are being an idiot. <laughs> um, I think you have to start there. Uh, and a friend of mine um, said a few years ago to me, like you can do anything from 10 PM to 2 AM. Like try doing the work then. Like spend your time growing that thing after hours, um, still be great at your day job. Um, and, but work on that one thing every night. I don't know. This has kind of been being an entrepreneur, I think is the best thing like to be human is, you know, you only have a limited amount of time. Um, and so I'm trying to live my best 100 years. So I think if people take that on, like, are you happy in your day job? If you are, do it. And then after hours, do something else that's great, that is going to affect and change the world. Um, but yeah, there are plenty of people who are happy in, in making a difference in their day job. And so maybe entrepreneurship isn't their path. Um, but if you've got a hankering for something, like do it because you only have so much time. Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech. It's produced by Morgan DeBon and me, Will Lucas, with additional production support by Love Beach and Raven Earboard. Special thank you to Micah Davis and Sakara Savanyan, you know, like the wine. Yes, that's his real name. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. Go get your money. Peace and love. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.